We've made it through 2020. We're into 2021. Things are looking up. And hopefully this can just be the best year yet. I know here at the NLX2 podcast, we're going to start off 2021 with a bang. We have many great podcasts coming your guys' way. Today's no different. This this one's a little bit, it's a little bit different. Okay. Um, this is this is a very, I'll say a very selfish podcast, getting to learn from this individual, getting to just to catch up. This is Joe Rogan and Tony Hinchcliffe. This is Joe Rogan and anybody, uh, Jocko Willink. This is Colby Wartman and one of his good buddies. So today we have a good friend, ex-Marine, father, husband, Ben McMillan. Uh, I grew up with Ben way, 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 way back, back in the old Coveway days. And so we will go over all that. But first, you guys know what we got to do. The Iron Chapel, strength and conditioning at its finest with a holistic approach at fostering athleticism, at maximizing athletic potential on the general population side, letting you live your best life, enjoying strength and conditioning, enjoying getting to compete and be around other people. That's what we do best. Dan Kerr is one of the best you could ever ask for in general population. I usually specialize with the athletes and we go great together. Okay. So come check us out. You can check it out at, at coach underscore Wortman on Instagram at iron chapel on Instagram or at iron chapel on Facebook. Check it out. We're there. We're having fun. Hopefully you guys can join us at some point. Last week, we talked about the importance of quality, potency, and testing of your supplementation. This week, you still get your 20% off. Listeners of this podcast get 20% off all Nutridine supplements. This is something that, this is matching what you're going to get at Walmart, way better quality, better price point, and it's going to last you a lot longer. So listeners of the podcast, 20% off, check out the link in my Instagram bio at coach underscore Wartman. Click on that bio link, put your email in. I will be a hold, getting a hold of you. We go through your health history, injury history, um, any types of allergies you have, what are your goals? And then we go from there. We don't just throw something at you and see if it sticks. Okay. So this is something that, uh, I'm very passionate about. This is something that I really, really like. So back to the meat and potatoes, back to the important stuff today. I'm freaking stoked about this one. This one's going to be, uh, this one's going to be comical. Let's just say that. So this week, Ben McMillan grew up with Ben. We used to cause havoc. We used to just have a lot of fun, go to church, throw tarball, tarballs at vehicles. We used to do the craziest shit you could ever think of. And so this week we're going to reminisce. We're going to hang out. I wish he was here in person, but we're over zoom as everybody else does. So without any further ado, I give you Ben McMillan. All right, ladies and gents, pretty excited about what we got going on today. I gave a brief intro of my dude, Ben McMillan. Uh, we go way, way, way back and, uh, been a pleasure. I, uh, I reached out and I'm glad it worked out. Um, it, this is, this is going to be 
a little bit unconventional, you could say, to what you guys are used to. Um, man, very briefly, like Ben and I go way back. We we grew up together from, I mean, day one. We're living across the, I mean, living across the road from each other. It was uh, a consistent battle. We we're always hanging out, um, and then just the natural progression of life, kind of. We we went and both lived our own lives, but we do have a ton of parallels that uh, I think a lot of people can learn from that are my audience that know about addiction, that know about all these things so that they can uh, hopefully don't go down the road we do, or when they do, they have a light once they're there. So uh, I'm very excited to introduce Ben and you can kind of just take it away, introduce yourself a little bit, brother. Yeah, what's up guys? Uh, my name is uh, Ben McMillan. Uh, like, like Colby said, we grew up together, been friends for a long time. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean, going back to said elementary school, middle school, high school, all the way up East side. You yes, went to sir. East side, didn't you? Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we lived like right around the corner from each other, man. And we, yeah. you know, we, we, uh, we grew up day one. So yeah. Um, I'm 27 years old. I live in Casper, Wyoming, uh, right now I work in the oil and natural gas industry. Um, I'm a U.S. Marine Corps veteran, um, served four years, was stationed in uh, Camp Pendleton in between uh, Los Angeles and San Diego, uh, deployed over to Kuwait, spent some time in Iraq, um, and uh, yeah, man, that, that that about sums me up. Uh, I'm a I'm newly, new, new father, new to the game of dadhood, mm-hmm. uh, just had a baby, Cooper Elliott, um, back in April of this year. Um, what a year it's been, man. Oh, what I'm a bad. year it's been. I'm sure that the audience can relate to that, but yeah, dude, uh, it's, I, I got a lot of, I got a lot of, um, strength and conditioning coaches, obviously, but a lot of just business leaders and a lot of people in the world of business. And as you said earlier, it's, it's been all encompassing. Everything has been completely turned on its head. I mean, you look at oil, natural gas, you look at restaurant and travel and all these things where I just saw um, a thing the other day in Europe. uh, My wife and I went to Europe for our honeymoon. It was great. Um, But now they're actually asking to pay people to come and visit so that their economy can restart because as ours is on oil and natural gas, theirs is on tourism. So it's oh really i didn't even know that yeah man i mean a lot of what they their their revenue is off of just being to having tourists and it's it's sad man um i've seen i've seen a lot of growth in a lot of people but i've also seen just people completely plummet and at this point with i think we stand very um very similarly in our political viewpoints but a lot of these these gym owners, these restaurants, these um, travel agencies, whatever it is, to no fault of their own, had their local government tell them, hey, you you can't work. You can't provide for your family. You can't do this. Absolute travesty. Dude. Absolute travesty. Disgusting, man. It's bad. It's, it's gross, dude. I, I hate the way I hate the way that 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 we're being represented politically. And I don't I don't believe that for, for your audience, I'm, I'm a. I'm naturally a conservative guy. I was a Trump supporter. I don't like everything the guy does. I think he's kind of an idiot sometimes. I think that, uh, you know, there were times where I definitely wished he would have just shut his mouth and just did his job. Um, although I felt like he always did his job. Um, I, I, like I say, I wish he would have just kind of kept a little quieter sometimes. Yeah. But I, I was I was more of a Trump supporter. I kind of, you know, related um, with the guy a little bit. I like that kind of 
brash nonsense kind of approach of just kind of speak your mind and and let the chips fall where they may you know i don't i'm kind of the same way you know i say what i what i feel and what i believe and I feel like if people don't like that, well, then that's fine. They can kind of, you know, they, they don't have to associate with me. They don't got to talk to me. And that's that's cool. I'm going to go about my merry way and, and continue providing for my family. But, yeah, this year has been a chin check, dude. I like to think of it that way. Like, it's it's made or or broken people. Like, if you were not prepared for a year like this, next next go around, I guarantee you will be. Yep. Um, you know, and for those of you that were prepared, like, good on you. You did the right thing. and you were ready for, for everything to to fall apart, to man. Yeah. Yeah. It fell apart. But, yeah. It, I don't know, man. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on, but you know, we'll be all right, man. You gotta, we got, you know, this is America. This, this, this country was, was built on, you know, kind of a rebellious, uh, footing, you know, mm-hmm. at its very like inception, you know? So you just got to continue to speak your mind and, and continue to, you know, believe in what you want to believe in and, and things are going to be all right, man. It's going to be okay. For sure. And I, I kind of, I kind of follow the same, same route. I tr- supported Trump was a, tr- uh, I voted for Trump in a second term. I think that, um, he fit the ballot for what I wanted America to look like after mm-hmm. the, after his term. However, um, whatever, whatever we can do as America as a whole, h- how I look at it is, we need to either support or we just need to support who, whoever is in there. We may not agree, and I agree with hardly anything that Joe Biden has to say, um, but yeah. it's the stuff that we need to just keep on pushing through. I mean, depending on how Georgia turns out, he may have his hands tied for more than we think, you know? Um, so yeah. it's 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 just going to be messy. It's We'll, we'll see how it goes, um, but... I, I think besides the local government really putting handcuffs on local industry, we just got to do what we got to do. You know, yeah. we, we were talking before this, you were used to 80, 90 hour weeks. I mean, that's, that seems astronomical to people. Um, and then we get down to 60 and we, we just, we have to do what we can do because it comes down to, are you, are you supporting your wife and your kid? You know, that's, that's really all it comes down to. Yeah, I, I want to clear that up. I didn't go from 80 or 90 hours a week down to 60 consistently. Like 60 hours was the most that I've worked in one week in the entire year of 2020. I think probably I I was somewhere in between 20 and 30 hours a week all year. And I mean, a lot of those weeks were like, I didn't get shit. I wasn't working at all. And it was tough. And I was on unemployment for quite a while. And thank God that, you know, Shelby's got a consistent job. She works for the state. And like, dude, she saved our ass a couple of months, you know, like we were really struggling. There were a couple of months where like we were, you know, she was upset, like crying. I was coming to the kitchen. It's like, babe, like, how the fuck are we going to pay rent? Like, what are we going to do? You know, and like we had to reach out and ask for help a couple of times. And it's it's been tough, man. And I used to be super into like politics before before we had Cooper. Uh-huh. And then Cooper came and like, I, I really kind of just it's not that I stopped caring, but like my entire focus completely shift, shifted and I kind of stopped paying attention to politics as a whole. I mean, I would keep up with what was going on, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, there's, there's just a lot of, a lot of crap going on, man. And, and like you said earlier, I don't, I don't agree with 
damn near anything that Joe Biden has to say. I, I think he's a front in there for Kamala. Um, I think that Kamala and her administration will be running that party yep. or, or her side will be running that administration. You know, you look at Joe, I mean, the guy, like, dude, like, you can't even tell if he's all there. Like, I mean, what are we doing here? Like, I don't know, man. It's crazy. It's just insane to me. But I think I think you pointed out something important, though. I mean, we got to We got to roll with the punches and you just got to do what's good for Cooper and you got to do what's good for your wife. You know, um, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. just that's what it boils down to, which it sucks at some point. Um, but I mean, life was life was much simpler when it was the coveway days when we were kind of just kicking it throwing fucking tar balls at vehicles and like, <laughs> oh yeah dude. <laughs> dude i mean getting back to kind of like what were the roots man and like for people that don't know warland's like a a very small i mean we were at like 5200 people um mm-hmm. it was it was a lot yeah, of fun yeah man it was a lot of fun we you know we we, we just had we, we we had fun man we didn't do other anything other than just run around cause a ruckus. And I mean, it was, uh, it was a carefree time, you know, that's how it is when you're a kid, but we had a good, we had a good upbringing. Um, you know, your, your parents, Kim, Gabe, Tony, you know, they, they took, uh, they took good care of you, man. They raised you well. Um, if Kim's watching this, Kim, I love you. I miss you. I hope you're doing good. Um, and, and Tony too. I saw your dad not too long ago at the pumpkin patch here in Casper too. Really? Um, yeah, I seen him. I seen him and he got to meet Cooper and whole Cooper too. That's and, awesome. uh, yeah, he, it, was, it was, it was good to see him, but yeah, we had a good upbringing, man. We had, you know, we had pretty good stable families. Mine was a little bit rocky here and there, but yeah. you know, it is what it is, but we, we, we had some fun, man. We had, I got some stories that I could tell that <laughs> are just insane. Dude. Astronomical I mean, <laughs> dog. The funniest shit ever. Like the hardest that I've ever laughed in my life was with, <laughs> you know, with you and, and Logan and, uh, just running around doing dumb shit, man. That was that was really before, like, you know, we started experimenting with drugs before we even knew what addiction was and yep. you know how that it could affect our lives, you know. So that but, was uh, that was a time. Go ahead. The well, the, the crazy thing is, it it affected it, for people that don't didn't live in Worland during the time we did. It was everywhere. Drug addiction was everywhere. And it was, it was intertwined in the, in the fabric of the city. And I I know that we were associated with X people or we were associated with these type of people, but it was very easy to do whatever you wanted to do. And it almost always seemed well before any um, experimentation into drugs or whatever. It always seemed that you, me and Logan Moeller there was, it was bound to, we were either going to have the best day of our life or Logan was going to start throwing punches with his temper or like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I remember days back in the back alley where we're playing on gravel folks. Like we're just shoving people around playing basketball. And I don't know how many fistfights started in that back, in that back gravel, dude. It was, it was just astronomical. There was more than, I remember I dunked on Logan one time and he had a temper. That boy had a temper. Like I was smaller than both you and Logan. I found a way to like move around and I dunked on his ass and yep. I was all talking back and he just <laughs> swung at me, dude, just jawed me. And I was like, what the fuck, dude? Like, what is wrong with you? You know I what I know. mean? But, I mean, I, I probably deserved it. Shit. I was a little punk ass back in those days, you know? But, dude, it was, I think everybody got into a fist fight with Logan Moeller. Like, <laughs> like Bruce Wing, like Bronson, 
all these cats, like it was always, we would always get in fights like that. And I just, some of those days, man, I mean, like, I, I think you were there. I had ended up, we had our trampoline in the backyard at my mom's place there. And, uh, mm -hmm. Brian Porter and I were doing like some, some oh, fights on the tramp, dude. Yeah. And I double Spartan kicked him right to the chest, like flips off double the tramp, Spartan. dude. Jim goes flying off the trampoline. I double sport, dude. Oh, dude, it was bad, man. We just had the. He didn't, he didn't take that lightly, though. He didn't take that well. He just got up and just walked his ass on home. Yeah, dude, it was, it was bad, man. Um, but that that was like that carefree mentality, man. I think I don't know. It's hard for me when I went to rehab and I went to all these things. Like I had to point at a lot of different, like a lot of deeper things because our parents oh, yeah. did everything they could. Um, there was a lot deeper things though. And mine came back to a lack of love, a lack of, of, of yeah, feeling, yeah. you know? Um, totally. I don't think it was a shortage of our great childhood though. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, as far as like the friend group that we had, like we really loved each other as friends, man. And we really supported each other, you know? Um, but you talk about like rehab and, and digging deep, you know, I've been to therapy a couple of times and, and I, I still go to any meetings today. Um, I went to one last night um, and I go to group sessions every once in a while. Um, you know, and that's, that's good for me because I can get, I can get lackadaisical and I can get complacent and I will relapse if I, if I get into that kind of a stage, mm -hmm. you know, but talking about like childhoods and, and, and growing up man, like the beginning of, of my addiction, I was, I was a drug addict before I even knew what a drug addict was. You know what I mean? Yep. I was I was experimenting with prescription painkillers before I even knew that I could get addicted to that kind of thing. Yep. Um, and I was using drugs for a lot of reasons that I, I didn't I didn't even know, you know what I mean, before I knew I was an addict. It's it's a confusing kind of a concept, but you know, I had a real low sense of self worth growing up. I, you know, I was abused sexually as a child, I was abused physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, you know, growing up in my household and and it was rough, man. And, 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 and those things kind of led to a real low self-esteem in me. I got bullied a lot, got, got picked on, tried to fit in as best I could. Um, you know, but sometimes I, I just was kind of awkward and kind of weird and, um, you know, it, it was tough, man. So, you know, I found like opiates, not found them, but was introduced to them. And, like was like man this is amazing like this takes all my my self esteem issues away like i'm on top of the world like everybody loves me you love me i'm cool now like i'm funny it's all good you know and yeah. so i continued to continue to use those substances to to mask that that real pain that i had from growing up you know and it was only like years down the road when i when i went to therapy that i that i realized you know was having to dig deep into like these real painful parts of my life that that made me realize like holy shit like damn i was i was 14 years old getting high every day and this is what i was running from yeah and it and like, it ran in both of our families too man i mean it, it ran in both of them we had like i said we looked at our parents and we looked at our family as superheroes but now you know just as well as anybody else you're not a super you're doing everything you think is right at that moment and yeah. I, I came to that realization when I was like 20 some and I was just like, dude, my parents were just doing everything they could. And mine was, um, a lot of divorces, a lot of, um, self-esteem issues to where I felt like I had to be this, this amazing athlete. I had to be this, 
um, standout athlete. And if I wasn't, I wasn't accepted. Um, and then it was a lot, a lot even deeper than that. It was not having the best relationships with family members, um, and not ever feeling a complete satisfaction, feeling loved. And so when I got married, when I met my wife, I told her this, I said, I've never had anybody like love me like you do. And so like that, that's very fulfilling, but yeah, and that's, and that's what I was chasing. And so the same thing, dude, opiates right before I started having these string of surgeries through athletics. I mean, we were getting all this stuff at the drop of a hat, you know, and we were, we were, it was just available to us. And so people think it's crazy how available it was. It was bad. It was very bad. And people think it sounds crazy at 14 years old, having any type of pain medication you want. And I always tell them this, Ben, is when we were doing that stuff, it was the wild west of pharmaceuticals because there was no doctor system. So you could go to a doctor, go to another doctor the next day and just Mm -hmm. keep on going. And then it was, it's coming in from Salt Lake. It's coming in from wherever and it's easy. Dude, yeah. So Wyoming is like, this is the way I look at it. Wyoming is always like a couple of years behind the curve. Whenever any kind of like major trend or or fad hits the country, Wyoming is always like five or six years behind the curve, right? Um, So like when Purdue Pharma started started pushing OxyContin and it like got heavy, you know, they started setting up clinics where they were, you know, they were literal re-education clinics for doctors and, and all they were doing, these pharmaceutical executives, was they were really pushing on these doctors heavily to start being more liberal with their prescription of opioid narcotics. So these doctors were like, you know, we're getting these legit like conferences where we're coming up and they're, they're telling us about this great new product where, you know, it's taking everybody's pain away and there's no issues on the back end and this, that, and the third. So they just started just handing these prescriptions out like it was candy, dude. And it hit, it hit you know, Whirlwind a couple of years behind that, that big opiate, um, you know, push. And it was bad, dude. It was really bad. It like, it, it kind of just destroyed the community. You know, it really, it really affected an entire group of, of, of kids in that community in a major way. And it was crazy to see. And it's crazy when you think about it, that like, damn, I was involved in that. When you look back on it, you know, yeah. I I'm glad that I can see now even when I was in Warland and we'll get back to kind of how bad it was kind of give him some stories there. But when I moved to Dickinson for college football, I was one 365 days clean. I was getting a drug test every single day of my senior year before I went to college and then get to Dickinson. And it's still like way harder to find things. You can, if you search hard enough, you're going to find what you want, but it was like, Mm. Oh, the most, the, the highest dosing I got is hydro fives. Like, with our background, that's nothing. That's taking Tylenol. Yeah, dude. Do you know I what was, I mean? I was 16 years old and I would go to school and I'd eat like three or four Perc 10s, literally Percocet 10 milligrams. And I'd be walking through the school like fine, dude. Yep. 15 years old. That guy weighed 120 pounds. It's, it's right. so crazy to think about, dude. I mean, we were wrapped up in, an, you said it perfect, in an addiction before we knew it was addiction because all of our people were doing it. We would go to yeah. lunch. We would do, we would do, I mean, we, everybody would pop in 10 perks. We'd split them. We'd go to class and nobody had any idea. And I, I, obviously it's choice. It's, it's, it was our choice to do that, but with how readily available it was, 
me being having law enforcement in my family, like Warland was a hub. Warland, they had oh, federal, God. they had federal agents checking over. I mean, everybody, people within and without of our group. It was yep. insane. Oh, yeah. You know, it's crazy you say that. I, I was uh graduated high school 2011. What year did you graduate? 2013? 13. 13. 13. You were a couple years behind me. That's right. I graduated high school in 2011. I moved to Casper and continued using, continued getting high. This is pre-Marine Corps days. This is pre-personal responsibility. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and I got back from uh, boot camp in the Marine Corps. And some buddies were like, yeah, dude, DCI was looking for you, man. Like, they were looking for you. And I was like, what is, first of all, what is DCI? Yeah. And they were telling me like, some kind of drug court investigation or something, you know, some federal agency that was looking to, to pop dealers and this, that, and the other. I was never a dealer. You know what I mean? I was a heavy user. So from a first glance, you could probably be like, yeah, this dude's dealing. But no, I was, I was that bad of a user to where I just have that much with me because that's how much I needed, yep. you know? And, and, I don't know. There's, there's like this, this all time debate of whether or not addiction is a, is a choice or it is a disease. And I, I'm, I'm firm in my, my standpoint that it is a disease. I think that addiction starts out always as a choice, always, no matter what, but addiction will end as a disease. I think that everybody walking the planet has a propensity to become an addict. I believe that they do. Um, and those of you that don't brush into opiates or any of those hard drugs, God bless you. Stay away from it. That is no good. You don't want no part of that life. I'm telling you right now, you don't. Mm -hmm. um, but for those of you that have, you know how difficult it is. Um, so for a non-addict to look at an addict um, from his vantage point outside looking in, it may be easy for him to look at an addict and say, well, why is he doing that? Why can't he just quit? You know, why can't he just stop doing what he's doing? But they don't understand like the intricacies that that come with an addiction. You know, there's some called a, a, a hedonic set point. Are you familiar with any of that yep. terminology? Yep. So basically, what you're it, they call it the hedonic treadmill, and basically, it's the theory that um, your emotions and your life will will um, return back to a normal state after some positive or real negative significant event in your life. You will, no matter what. Say you win the lottery. Well, in five years, you'll have been getting used to that money and you'll be at the same place that you were in as far as happiness goes that you were before you, you know, before you won that money. Same thing as if like you had a death in the family. That's your that's what they say is your hedonic set point. Um, so it's like a bar, you know, for a normal non-drug user, they got a level playing field and, and it's it's a real level kind of state. But for me back in my using days and, and for other addicts. It was all over the place, dude. I was taking in dopamine and serotonin and it was shooting my hedonic set point way the fuck up. Yep. And I was happy all the time and my body was trying to readjust with it. So it would it would it would readjust and that bar would stay at that real high spot. So whenever I didn't have that, I would be like real down in the dumps, you know? Yeah. And 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 that's when you lose all control over your ability to make a decision, you know. Addiction is a disease of the very part of your brain that gives you the authority to make choices. Yep. You know I, what I mean? So when I, I 100% agree, it all starts with that choice. It all completely starts. And then this gets me into, I go to once a month, I go to, um, it's like a, what would you call it? It's, it's like a support group kind of deal. Mm -hmm. And it all gets down to this question. Like, yes, it starts out as, as, as this choice, but there are people, and I truly believe this, 
there are people that are more predisposed. There's people that are going yeah. to that are going to actually go carry towards that madness um, due to genetic factors, due to friend groups, due to whatever it is. But then people don't realize after years and years, that's actually changing the chemistry of our brains. It's changing the channel of our dopamine. It's our serotonin. Yep. And to this day, some type of um, effects that I get post addiction, I don't know if this has ever happened to anybody else, but I don't know if I was in such a fight or flight mode for so long where it was the next high, the next pill, the next party, whatever it was that I have almost a desensitization to some things, which is very sad, but like, I can't sit and just watch a movie. I will fall asleep. Okay. So I can't just sit and not do anything. And my brain was always, we got to do something. We got to find this. We got to go do that. And so if I'm not doing something, I'm shutting down. And so, man, it, it's sad that we, we got into it, but I think we can learn a lot from that. I think we can push forward from that because that's the only thing to do is learn from it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So totally. Yeah, man. And totally. the only thing you can do is learn from that. hundred percent because I know people to this day that we were associated with that haven't got to the point where we're at, that haven't, haven't seen the light on the other end of the, uh, on the other end, man. And it's sad to yeah. see because we yeah. were right there next to them. It sucks. It is sad to see, bro. I know, I know what you're talking about, and it's it's tough, bro. And I, I pray, I pray for those folks. Not every day, like I should be, but golly, man. But here's the thing, though, right? Like at some point, you you have to make that choice. Like at some point, you have to kind of step up to the plate, and and you have to adopt that that mindset of personal responsibility. You got to, like, you have to, bro. I don't care. You can go your whole life being an addict and just be a complete fucking turd. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But don't be surprised in 20 years when you look back and you're like, damn, bro, like what is going on? Like I have nothing all of my, sh I have nothing. And, and your health is in the fucking toilet yep. and everything else is going on around you. You know what I mean? Like and at some point you got to step up to the plate and, and deal with it. I know, dude. And I, so like, like I had said earlier, our lives kind of went their own ways. You moved to Casper. I, I got to see you every once in a while there. You went to the Marine Corps and it was, I got to see you whenever you would come back. Um, and you talk about that teaching you a lot, that teaching you everything. Um, but I know that after I left Warland, I had a year of sobriety and then it slowly got worse, worse, worse. And then it just took off, man. Um, there was a reintroduction of an old friend living up here and, um, I never had, and this is the question that I'm trying to get to, cause I don't know this answer from you. Um, I never had that bottom, that rock bottom. I never hit that rock bottom. I, it, I didn't have to have that event to get me out. Um, mine was, I was playing college football. I was all conference already smacking dudes, but I was doing opiates, all the hard stuff, heroin, all that to get by, to fulfill this, this, this need. And I just came to the realization. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was divine intervention. Um, but I knew that I had more to what I wanted. I knew I could do more. And so I called my mom. I said, Hey, I am in a bad spot. I called my head football coach, dude, head football coach. He took me to the hospital for four hours as I withdrew and sat with an IV drip and just looked at me as a human being. And that was my rock bottom. And so I, yeah. 
I know that yours progressed and got worse as well. Um, we can get into that. But then after you answer that, what was your rock bottom that said, I'm done? Um, you know what, man? So look, I've done, I've done some pretty terrible things in my life to like people that I love, um, to feed my addiction. And it, it, you know, I was living with my mom here in Casper at a, at an apartment. Um, and, and she was getting prescribed some pain pills for, for something. She was in pain. She, she had a couple of procedures done and, and she would, she would hide them in this little lo- uh, hideaway, um, lock and key little toolbox thing. And I, I found out, like I learned how to pick a fucking lock so that I could, so that I could get access to her fucking pain meds. Dude. And, I just, I just remember, I just remember waking up in the morning and not really having any direction in my life. And I would, I'd pass by the mirror to take a piss in the morning or whatever. I literally, I couldn't even look at myself. Like I couldn't, couldn't even fucking bear to look at my reflection in a mirror. Yeah, man. Um, and I remember, I remember reading a book by Rourke Denver called Damn Few. And um, that got me on like a military kick. And I started watching videos online about like fucking Navy SEAL boot camp. I originally wanted to go be an Air Force PJ. That was like what I really dude, wanted to do. PJs are some bad They're, mothers. Parajon Rescueman, man. I met a couple of those in Iraq. We picked a couple of those dudes up while I was turning trap in, in Kuwait and Iraq. And they were fucking warriors, dude. Like these dudes are behind the scenes. Dude, if you ask me, PJs are the baddest motherfuckers in the American military. Like, Everybody that is in the military knows that. The people that look at it, they're like, oh, it's the Navy SEALs, which, yes, you have uh, the MARSOC. You have all these really elite. But PJs go in when the shit hits the fan for those elites. Yeah, here's the thing, right? <laughs> so you got your na- you got your natural war fighters, say your Marines or your Army soldiers, your infantries. You know, you, these guys, they train to fight wars. They train to go in and they train to fight an enemy. And, and fight to the death and live and die next to their brother or their sister, whoever it might be. Then you got guys that are a little more top tier, you know, your MARSOC operator, these guys train for a specific skill set where they get a very specific mission and, and it's not real broad. And then you got like, you know, your upper tiers, which is your Navy SEALs and your PJs. I put PJs ahead of Navy SEALs because these are literal doctors who are like, at that level, maybe some of them aren't literal doctors, right? But they have that aptitude to really become that. And some of them definitely are PhDs, like for real. And they're also warriors on top of that. Like they are, they're, they're running in when, when shit hits the fan and, and they're just, they're just badass. Dude. But mm-hmm. anyway, so I, to get, I got off topic. <laughs> I love PJs. They're <laughs> badass. That's what originally what I wanted to do was become a PJ. And I was watching all these videos online and I, uh, my whole life things would get hard and I just fucked quit right i just quit him like, it's too hard man i quit and i go get high and it was like man like i i really can't i had like a, a, an awakening moment where where i realized like dude i'm kind of a pussy like everything that happens in my life if it gets hard i kind of quit and i just sort of beat myself up and i was like bro you're like you're a bitch you can't even look yourself in the mirror like you're stealing fucking pills from your mom oh. you're, you're doing everybody dirty you're lying to the people that you love nobody can trust you you got no respect you you have no honor and no dignity, dude. Like, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna you just gonna coast? You just gonna stay in this in this lane and and just let things play out? No, fuck no, bro. Like, I, I couldn't stand that. I really couldn't. So I stepped up to the plate and I said, "Fuck it, I'm joining the Marine Corps. I'm out of here." 
I, t- I went and told my mom, I was like, mom, um, I'm going to go join the Marine Corps. And she was like, no, you're not. And I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> a couple of weeks later, I was on a fucking plane to San Diego withdrawing because I was still using at that time. Um, I took a fat hit of some heroin before I got on the plane and I fucking bounced. I said, that's it. Yep. Like, I'll see you later. That life, that door is closing behind me and I'm going to, I'm going to wade myself through this withdrawal and we're going to just step up to the plate from here on out. Like this is a new beginning for me. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I became spiritually sound. And then all of a sudden I was just walking across the prey deck in San Diego as a U.S. Marine. And it was the most proud moment of my fucking life. My whole family was there. Um, I was stronger than I had ever been. I was real healthy. Um, I was disciplined. I was on a routine. Like you couldn't, couldn't shake my will like mm-hmm. i was just tough as nails bro like i just completely retransformed who i was as a human being um physically emotionally spiritually and mentally um and and, and yeah and that, that was about it and then and then i you know went through the training pipeline in the marine corps um went to mct marine combat training uh just up the way from where boot camp is uh did all that for like eight weeks met some really good dudes some homies that i still talk to to this day um, and then I went to my, my follow on school, which is engineer school, you know, learned how to look for IEDs, learned how to, you know, find bombs, learn how certain bombs are built in country, learn how, you know, we call them Hodgies. That's just how they pronounce it in the Marine Corps. They just call the bad guys Hodgies because at the time that's what we were fighting. We were fighting people in the Middle Eastern yep. sector, you know, that's just what they call them. So we learned how they made bombs, you know, and learned how to defeat, you know, their mindset. And we just learned how to operate as Marines and mark as a team. And, you know, then I got, I got assigned to uh first combat engineer battalion in the first Marine division, which is a really historically, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, they're, they're just up there, man. Like, you know, it was, it was the first Marine division that, you know, raised the flag in Iwo Jima. Like these are some bad dudes. Like there's a lineage in that, in that battalion that when you show up there, you have to toe the fucking line, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, and that's what we did. And I met some of the best friends that I'll ever have in my life. Um, you know, Jacob Dryden, Blake Bennett, who was my roommate for two years, uh, Mike Watosh, Dave Bartley, Cameron, um, Halkovich, you know, uh, it's right after I got out, he deployed again, got shot in the stomach and got a purple heart, went, went to his purple heart ceremony and just a, just a real group of hitters, dude. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I missed that a lot. And it was a struggle for me, bro. Like when I got out of the military, like I got home and I was like, sitting on my couch, like, man like what is next you know what i mean i remember talking to you i remember talking to you when you first got out um i was interested in it because i was like what does that process what does the process look like after getting out of the military and you're like they put you through a class you pretty much get a powerpoint of like how to transition out of the military um and then you're dropped on your ass like that's this this is how it is and you were i know you were struggling with identity man um, I struggled, I struggled with identity from playing college football. That was my brotherhood. You know, yeah. I struggled yeah. with it hard, man. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I'm talking about that. You, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you know, that's something, that's something about men that they kind of, they really kind of, uh, they kind of flourish in that kind of a group setting, you know? Yeah. Um, well, that's why, that's why we, that's why we flourished as drug addicts, dog. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's the group that we are in. Like if we were going to be good drug addicts, like we might as well be the best, you know, like honestly, like you talked about, like you had, there was a federal agency, like wanting to talk to you and yeah. all these things. Like 
I know that you did, and I know that I did, and some other people didn't. Like, obviously, drugs were the number one priority in our life, no matter, over anything. Mm -hmm. But we always had this, like, this, this voice on our shoulder, this inclination that we were like, okay, this is bad. We need to get out of here. Like, we never, we didn't get arrested for this stuff. We didn't do any of that crap. It was just like, it ran our lives, and we knew when we needed to leave. We knew when we needed to get out. Yeah. It was crazy, dude. Um, yeah. You know, it, it was, I'm, I'm so glad that I joined the Marine Corps. I'm so glad that I had that awakening moment because yeah. if I hadn't done that, my God, dude, where would I be? I wouldn't have my son. I wouldn't have gotten married to my lovely wife who just holds the floor down yeah. and she's just fucking shame. Like, yeah. like Do you, I don't know. It's crazy, bro. I want to talk about a good mom. Like she holds it down. She's a good mom. That's like, awesome, and it's, man. And it's, being a dad is crazy too, bro. Being a mom or a dad is crazy because, you know, you just have this kid and then you just bring it home from the hospital and you're like, fuck, I got a human being here. Yeah. Uh, when do we, you know, what do, we, what do we do? You know, we had no idea what we were doing. We were like learning how to breastfeed. and It was tough, dude. Like there were like five or six nights there that we didn't sleep at all. Like mm-hmm. not at all. You know, we were up with Cooper. He was feeding like every two hours on the dot and we had to be there. I was with Shelby, you know, trying to help her get him latched on the boob or whatever. Like that was tough. And that was hard. Um, you know, but, uh, parenting fatherhood or motherhood is something that just comes to you so naturally. It's weird. It's hard to explain, you know, yeah. but it's the most, it's the most rewarding thing that I've ever been involved with. And it's, it's fulfilling as hell, man. I love my little family that we got going on and it's, it's great, bro. I, I guess maybe this is where, I, I do have like some selfish questions to where uh, we're, I mean, we're transitioning into that part of our lives where we want to start having kids. Um, and, yeah, <laughs> and, it, and I, I think it's so cliche. Everybody's like, well, we're not ready. I, I don't, I don't think you're ever ready. And, um, I think you're only ready when you have them. And yeah. so I guess for me, like right off the bat, what, what was the hardest, the absolute hardest thing besides sleep deprivation? Like if we're looking deep, what was the hardest thing? Mm -hmm. Like was, was the connection between you and Shelbs like different? Was this perspective switch Um, different? You know, that's a good question. Some stuff that I talk about in therapy too. So that's a good question, man. Um, it was tough. You know, when we had Cooper, uh, yeah, like the connection did suffer a little bit and it still kind of is, you know, but that's natural, man. Like that's kind of a natural thing that happens when you have a little baby, like you bring another human into the world and, and everything else takes a back seat, bro. Like everything. And if, if, if you are putting things ahead of the priority of your kids, like to me, like you gotta, you gotta relook at what you're doing, bro, because, but if you got everything figured out and, and everything's taken care of and the kids taken care of by all means, you know, you know, do what you gotta do. But I, I the hardest thing was, I don't know. There were a lot of hard things. I don't, I wouldn't want to say that one was any harder than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think about when Cooper grows up, you know, how, how I'm going to tell him that, that I was an addict for so long. I think about like having those conversations with him and I think about the way that he'll look at me. I don't want him to, you know what I mean? Think any less of me. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a struggle sometimes thinking about that. Um, I think, but other I th- than that, I mean, I don't know. We've been blessed. That's the weird thing about 2022 as well. Like is that it's been this crazy year, but also it, it afforded me the opportunity to be here with my family when they needed me the most. When he had just gotten home from the hospital, I wasn't working a whole lot. 
And thankfully, unemployment was kicking in and like we were good to go. Like everything was fine. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it was like this weird blessing in disguise where like every time I look around, like I'm just kind of being taken care of in a weird way. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. And it's it's a weird thing. Um, but I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I'd have to think about that a little more because there have been some hard things, um, you know, like just constantly looking after him. It, it sometimes gets exhausting. He's your son. You love him no matter what. You know what yep. I mean? But sometimes you'll go to you'll go to rock him for like 30 minutes and you're like he's finally asleep and then you'll go to put him down and then deuce will jump off the bed with a dog bone and wake mm -hmm. his ass up and just like, Boom. <laughs> you know what i mean it's like those little things but yeah. it's all so rewarding like seeing him laugh for the first time like i literally cried when i heard him laugh for the first time it was the greatest day of my life yeah. um you know he just got the coolest little coolest little attitude and he's just he's kind of a feisty little bastard mm -hmm. um i you wouldn't know, expect anything different on, yeah he's already chewing on like strips of fucking steak and he's like <laughs> eight months old I don't know, but yeah oh let's go he's a beast man i i look at it the same way i think maybe i'm i, I look back in my my relationship with family or my dad or my mom but the people that did have addiction issues never talked to me about it it was always mm -hmm. cliche. It was always, we're going to swipe this under the rug. It doesn't matter. And so I think, yeah. I think having that conversation is going to play more in your favor than not. Um, yeah, and, I agree with that 100%. Yeah, man. Cause like the people in our families that did have addiction issues, we weren't talking to them about that. We were oh. filling their shoes. Yeah. That's a good point that you bring that up too, because my dad, he was an alcoholic for many years, bro. And he never talked about that kind of shit. And I think in a sense, like I had, I presented my, my family in many ways growing up, you know, they did. They, I love my family, right, bro. Let's get that out mm -hmm. front right now. I love them and I always will. And I, I have great respect for them, but they failed in a lot of ways bringing me up as a kid. And I really truly believe that. And that's something I'll stand by. And I would say that, you know, period, point blank. They didn't teach me nothing about finances. Um, they didn't teach me nothing about the addictions that they faced and ways to overcome them. Mm -hmm. um, so in a lot of ways, like I was kind of set up for, uh, I don't, I don't want to say failure because they did what they could to put clothes on my back. Um, you know, and they did, they did a good job. You know, they did what they, they could, you know? Yeah. Um, but in other ways, like there was really a lot of, a lot of lacking going on. Like, I, I, you know, like there were times that like my family, my dad specifically should have really been there for me. Mm -hmm. um, and he wasn't, you know, he treated that, that, um, you know, he just was real tough about shit. Like, get up, quit being a pussy, like, you know. But for kids, I think it's important that you, you know, you reassure them. But you got to you gotta treat them with some love and kindness and tenderness, too, yeah. you know. And, I, and that, that. Uh, I, I think I, I learned and I looked at this a little differently because I was very resentful. And I had to just, I had to forgive because I had some really traumatic issues with family members in my family. And. I had to look at it as some of these things that are negative. Now I know what I don't want to be in a husband or a father yep. or a brother or whatever. So I can kind of take that and be like, okay, I'm going to pivot from that instead of being resentful, which I was full of hate for a long time, full of it. Mm -hmm. um, and so getting to that point where I'm like, dude, fuck it. That's that. You, once you hit 25 and you know this just as well as I, once you hit 25, you can't blame shit on your parents anymore. You yeah, know, like yeah, it's, it's us, man. Yeah, I agree with that too. You know, I got friends that are like, you know, coming on 30 and they're like, 
it's like, bro, you need to get your shit together. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, I always got an excuse for this or for that. Yeah. You know, like, bro, I, I, at some point, like, you, I was, I was yeah. proud of what, I was proud of what you did, man. Um, nobody thought you were going to go to the Marine Corps. Nobody thought you were going to do that stuff. Um, we all, we all stumbled and we all fell. Um, but getting you to go to the Marine Corps, I think that changed your life. Got it on the right track. Um, going from, going from zero to that, um, I think is what you needed. Um, I, I again, I know it was, I know it was God looking after me. I know it was divine intervention, but it wasn't like this catastrophic thing. Like I'm going to the Marine Corps or I wrecked my vehicle and killed somebody. Like it was just, I know I have more in my life. I know that I can offer more. And so yeah, like these conversations that we can have with one, our kids, but I have these conversations with my athletes, man. Like, dude, I know you're good. I know you're getting surgery. Like I know what's going to be afforded to you. I know what you're going to be given. Like don't do it. Just don't. I know that this is, um, you can make money off it or you could, this is going to help you. Like, don't do it. Yeah. Stay away from it at all costs. And you're doing a, you're doing a, you're doing a justice to the people around you when you hold them accountable on that kind of stuff, bro. Straight up. I, I respect that. I respect that a lot. You know, keep doing that, bro. Keep, keep, keep stepping up, keep setting the example for your athletes and the people around you. And you know, that's, that's, uh, that's what God calls us to do as men just set the example for everybody around us, you know, lead, yeah. you know, lead for sure. So, for sure. Keep it up, bro. Like I, I love what you're doing. I'm so proud of you, man. I appreciate it, man. It's, it, it kind of just fell, it fell, it fell into place. I, uh, it's been able to do what I like to do and, uh, just yeah. bullshit about it and talk to my buddies over zoom, which man, you, you honest on an off note, you have no idea how much like my mom talks about you being able to come see her when she was sick and, just like those small connections that we hadn't seen each other for years, but yeah. I, I'm in town, you're coming to see her or whatever, you know, like it's that, it's the stuff that, that carries over the years. And so, man, I, I hope the best for everything you got going on. Um, Appreciate that. Yeah, man, it was, it was great to talk to you. I, I do have, I do have one more thing though, too. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I got, I got a question at the end and I think you'll be good at this one. Um, I got a question at the end of some of my podcasts. And so if, and this is, I need an, if I need the answer and why. So if you were a kitchen utensil, what kitchen utensil would you, Ben McMillan be and why? Shit. <laughs> what, what is this? Huh? What kind of, what, what is this what kind of mind game? If I was a kitchen utensil, what would I be? Shit. Um, Oh my God. I, I don't know, dude. Uh, I went with a meat tenderizer because I'm usually all gas, no brakes. I'm just ready to get after it, you know? Uh, you know what, man? I'd probably be... Uh, An all-purpose fork? Yeah. <laughs> uh, or you know what? A whisk. Be a whisk. Oh, just shaking things up every uh-huh. every once in a while? mixing it up you know yes sir yes sir man brother i uh i appreciate you having you on dog it i mean it's a blast i we need to uh i don't get i don't get home very often i don't get to casper i don't get over there but when we do we'll have to we'll have to meet up brother yeah man for sure i miss you i hope you're doing good um keep up the good work bro just just keep hammering just keep doing it you know what i mean if you're if you just continue to do what you're doing dude in like five or ten years 
something's got to happen. There will be doors that open up. Opportunities will come your way if you just continue to be consistent with it. That's one of the main things I wish I would have done when I was doing YouTube is I wish I would have kept blogging. I wish that I would have done that. Dude, I was, you know a reli- I, mean? I was a religious watcher of that, dog. I know. Yeah. And I go back to some of my videos on my YouTube channel and some of them like got a couple thousand views now. And it's like, damn, that's pretty cool. It you know? is, man. It is. I used to get random messages. I only have like 100 subscribers, but... I used to get random messages from random people would be like, Oh, you know, post when you post in the next vlog. And it's like, I don't even know who you are, man. Like, yeah. what? It's cool to it's see cool, that bro. impact, man. It's cool to see it. It, it yeah. is. And don't ever stop telling your story about addiction and, 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 and how you came up and the battle that you went through, because there are people out there that are going through battles that they believe are unwinnable mm-hmm. period point blank. And let me say something to your viewers. If you, if you're struggling with something and, and you're having a hard time dealing with it, you got to be able to take the emotion out of that equation and look at it logically. Eventually, down the road, if you continue to if you continue to move forward and make the right choices, eventually, you're going to be okay. Things are going to come back to normal, and and you'll start to feel normal again. You know, whether it's whether it's a change in in your friend group, whether it is a change in your job. If you if you hate your job and and you want something different, you know, go go for the things that you want to do, and 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 just continue to to work on bettering yourself and. Everything's going to be all right, man. There's light at the end of the tunnel always. You know what I'm saying? Hey, and I I mean this too. If like you ever want to figure out, I mean, pushing forward vlogging again or whatever it is, dog, I enjoy doing that stuff. I enjoy helping out. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm here for anything you want to do, dog. And so uh, anything, I think you have a lot of, uh, a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience traveling the world, going to war zones, doing, meeting these different people. I think you can throw a lot mm-hmm. out there. So when when parenthood starts better. getting a little bit less, I mean, throw it out there, dog. I will, man. Yep. Yeah. You know, I, I uh speaking of traveling the world and then we'll get off there's this crazy time where I was in I was in Iraq at the time, or no Kuwait, and we were doing trap and uh we got a red cross message where my, my stepdad's um son, Sean, like tragically died in a motorcycle accident. He was young, dude, he was like twenty three. And, you know, he was busting down second street doing like 120 on his cross rocket or something like that. And he rear ended a semi truck and it was bad, bro. And so I got a red cross message in Kuwait and they were like, Hey, um, you know, your stepbrother, your stepbrother passed away tragically. You know, do you want to want to go home and be with your family during this time? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's probably a good idea. You know, I didn't really know Sean a whole lot, but yeah, we uh, ended up going home in the middle of, of deployment. And it was crazy because, I didn't fly home with like a Marine detail or anything like that. Like mm-hmm. they literally took me to the airport in Kuwait city and I was es- escorted by a gunny and, and a second Lieutenant or a first Lieutenant and a couple of other Marine bodyguards who were concealed carrying. And they dropped me off at the gates and they're like, this is as far as we can go. They handed me my ticket and they were like, all right, buddy, you, you're going to be all right. Oh, and I'm like damn. looking around, I'm like, dude, there's no English anywhere. Like I'm in the middle of Kuwait yeah. and I'm, I, I had just gotten like a high and tight, you know, and I was like the quintessential white American U.S. Marine. Yep. And, and I, I was like wading my way through uh, the Kuwaiti International Airport and getting the dirtiest looks, dude. Like they they hate Westerners over there. They really do. Mm-hmm. So I like back myself into a corner, plug my phone in, and I'm like waiting for my plane to arrive. Uh, it was it was crazy, bro. It's a different Flew experience. It was, it was, and it really opened my eyes to a lot of things, like just the different, different ways that, that, that different people do things in different countries. Like everything is different, bro. Like wall outlets are different. Like sidewalks are different. 
it was crazy. It was a good experience. I'm really glad that I, you know, got to go and got got to go and do that and experience all that. But yeah, perspective is a big thing in life, man. Like if if you know, I, I heard this this uh, this good this good phrase the other day, and it was about some some girl would come out and she would look out her kitchen window and she would see this girl hanging dirty clothes up on a on a clothesline, and she'd come out every day and see her hanging dirty clothes up, and she would tell her husband, "Why is she hanging those clothes up? They're so dirty, you know. They're they're so dirty." She come out every day and say that. She, Why is she hanging those dirty clothes up? One day she came out and she looked out the window and she was hanging clean clothes up. And she looked over and she said, "Honey, she's finally cleaned her clothes. Like her clothes are clean, you know." And her husband looked at her and he said, "No, honey, we just washed our window." And I was like, "Whoa! Ooh. Like that's that's crazy. Like so, maybe other people's clothes aren't dirty. Maybe like the window that you're looking out of is the thing that's dirty." Yeah. You know what I mean? I think so that, like, that dude, holds so many different views, man. That holds how right. we, how we're looking at what's happening in America right now, like just say in our home country, and then we can look outside the country, you know? Maybe our perspective's a little skewed at some point. I definitely believe it is, man. Americans are like big, brash, and bravado, and they can come across like dickheads a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can, can you, I'm going to bring you, Cooper. Oh, you're golden. You're golden. Can you imagine this? This is how I thought about things. What up, Shelby? Mm-hmm. Um, so can you imagine this, like as, as a, as an ex-Marine that Mm -hmm. if we had this huge implode of riots and all this stuff that's happened, could you imagine if a foreign military came in to iron things out? That would be weird. That'd be bad, dude. That'd be bad. I don't see any way that that could happen. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's what, that's what we do. We try to instill democracy and we try to, Bring right, these companies. Like, that's not right. You know what I mean? There's like a lot of shifty stuff that happens. Like it's different. For, you know, the public is told one thing, but really at the end of the day, it's, it's usually a different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, speaking on like why we went to war in the middle East, why, you know, because somebody came and blew up a couple of our buildings or because we needed, you know, some other stuff going on. I don't Mil- know. Milita- I could get into the week and talk about that stuff for hours, bro. Literally. I'm a conspiracy theorist. Your viewers better stay away from me. So I got to say. <laughs> Oh, I mean, just the military industrial complex will get us. I mean, that, that gets us a lot of places. I can't remember who somebody, it was one of the presidents ages ago who made a, you know what I'm talking about? He made some crazy speech about the military industrial complex and that shit is real, bro. Yep. Look that up. If you don't know military industrial complex speech, look into it. For sure, dog. It's real. Man, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate you hopping on brother. We'll, uh, we'll link up, we'll link up here soon. Um, so everybody. That is another episode of the NLX2 podcast. It is 2021. Quit bitching about 2020. Move on. Yep. And let's yep. just let's just hit the ground running, right? I'm with it. All, right. Ground running. All right, brother. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, dude.